Hello and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so you can perform at your best. With 15% off your first order of electrolytes and fuel with the code OA22 at PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Coach Rob Wilby, and every week I bring you an episode of this podcast to help motivate and inspire you on your endurance adventures. This week, I've got a cracking interview for you. Hot off the press, we've got Andrew Messick, the CEO of the Ironman Corporation. He's joined us to talk us through the very recent announcement that Kona 2023 is going to be a split two-day split um, location event. The women's race is going to be on the Saturday out in Kona and the men's race is going to be in a different location on a different date, both as yet to be confirmed, but heavily rumored to be Nice and heavily rumored to be on the 10th of September. So we invited Andrew Messick to come onto the show. He very graciously agreed to come on and I know he's been facing um, he and the Ironman Corporation have faced a lot of flack in the in social media and in, in the triathlon press. Um, it seems like those guys can't do anything right at the moment. And so we had the questions put through them that you guys have been asking as well. So I have to say I was completely won over by Andrew Messick. He firstly is an Ironman triathlete himself. As you'll hear, he is very passionate about the power of Ironman events and Ironman distance events to change people's lives. It's what happened to him and it's what led him to to become the CEO of the company. But, you know, eight years before he did that, he was taking part in an Ironman event and having that change happen for him as well. So I think hearing him talk and hearing the passion that he's got for the sport and hearing the the multiple different options that they tried to come up with to try to keep the the World Championships race as a two-day event in Kona, it will it will be very interesting for you, and I think it will win over a lot of his critics. Before we go over to the interview, just want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. You can use their free fuel and hydration planning tool to receive a personalized strategy for your next race. The planner will help you understand your own carbohydrate, electrolyte, and fluid needs so you can refine your strategy during training. Don't forget, you can also book a free one-to-one video consultation with PFNH's athlete support team, and they'll be happy to help you nail your race nutrition plan. Um, you can find that link in the show notes, and you can click through to talk to them directly. I don't know if any of you have noticed this, but an eagle-eyed fan of Precision Fuel and Hydration saw this photograph in the press out in the Qatar World Cup, where obviously it's incredibly hot. There was a photograph of Declan Rice and Jack Grealish sitting in the changing rooms after a game and in the background in the changing rooms is a tube of PFNH, I think it's 1500. So I, I know for sure that they're not officially working with those players or officially sponsoring them, but I don't think there's a better advert for a product that works than world-class footballers using it at the World Cup at a, at a you know temperature where staying hydrated and staying electrolyte level is the key to them avoiding those cramps. So yeah, that was really, really cool to see. I've loved Precision Fuel and Hydration since the very early days. Andy and Dave and Chris and the entire team, really awesome people. And there's tons of stuff goes on behind the scenes where we can we can get extra help for athletes who are struggling with dehydration or DNFs in hot races. They're a genuinely great bunch of guys who want to help people solve the problems faced by 
um, lack of electrolytes and lack of fluid. And founder Andy Blow's mission became to figure out what was going on for him failing to perform well out in Kona in the heat and humidity. So I think the products are the best out there. Find out for yourselves over at precisionfuelandhydration.com and use the code OA22 for 15% off your first order. Okay, with that, let's head on over for our interview of the week with the CEO of the Ironman Corporation, Andrew Messick. Andrew, welcome aboard. It's uh, it's been quite a week for you and everybody at Ironman headquarters, hasn't it? It's been it's been uh, it's been quite a couple of months ever since <laughs> Kona in the beginning of October. But uh, but yes, last week was uh, eventful. So let's kick off with that then. First up, I as a as a fan, as a coach, I was really impressed with the way the two-day Kona worked this year. Feedback that I heard from athletes that both raced and watched was almost universally positive, especially around the angle of the women really getting to have their own world championships highlighted and it not kind of being mixed up amongst the men's race. Um, how was your how was your view on that as a CEO of Ironman? I mean from from a racing perspective and from the perspective of looking after, you know, our athletes and volunteers and friends and families, it, it was fantastic. Um, you know, we had done a lot of work to, to make sure that the courses were going to work and that we were going to have traffic management plans that were going to be able to um, adjust for a lot of the things that were new with Kona in, in, uh, in, in 2022, uh, and, and that were really a reflection of us racing on a Thursday. Um, you know, back, back in the day, you know, if you look at, you know, the energy lab on the run course, um, it was its own sort of unique thing. Now Nelha is a legitimate business park that has you know, 400 people that go to work there every day. Um, plus visitors and customers and all of that stuff. And so by racing on a Thursday, we had to do a whole bunch of stuff that we're not accustomed to having to do when we typically race on Saturdays. And so managing not just our athletes to be able to get in and out, but employees to be able to get in and out and customers and, and all of that. And so I think the team, you know, which is Kona based under Diana Birch's leadership, I, I thought did an exceptional job working with all of the relevant constituencies, the hotels, the airport, you know, all of those people um to be able to allow you know for people to to accommodate the race and still be able to to work um and and so that whole process was a huge effort and it was largely invisible to our athletes which is what it should be you know when when you do your job well as a race organizer uh, the plumbing and the sausage making of how you close roads and manage traffic and do all the things you need to do. Um, we hope that that's invisible to our athletes. And, and I think that by and large it was, especially on the Thursday and we were able to deliver a great race, you know, on Thursday and another great race on Saturday. Um, and, and I agree with you. I thought that the women racing on Saturday really put on a show and, and it was, you know, the best women in the world. And there was a whole bunch of them that tried to win and really went for it. And, um, you know, and if you're a race organizer, that's what you hope for, right? You, you hope for 
you know, the, a, a heavyweight championship, um, the best people in the world, their number one goal, their A game, they're hundred percent prepared and they're trying to win. Um, so from that perspective, it was just fantastic. And it felt also as though, because obviously in, in when the, the women's race and men's race were on the same day, you had a limited number of um, motorbikes with cameras out. It right. feels as though we got to see the racing more in the women's race. I'm not convinced there was, there was more racing going on, but we got to see more of it rather than, you know, the, the limited view we, we've perhaps seen in the past. Well, that, that's one of the things that, that you, you don't know you're sacrificing, but you are sacrificing when you're only racing on one day. You know, you think that you're going to have enough motos to, to cover the whole, the whole race, but the reality is you don't. And, and if you have, you know, your cameras and your motos focusing, your media motos in any event, focusing just on the men and just on the women, you, you're able to tell the story dramatically better. And, and the other thing that I, I think was really instrumental and, and will require adjustment is the officiating. And that, you know, typically during Kona or, or any one day world championship, you've got a certain number of officials who are patrolling. If you're just talking about the, the officials that are assigned to the professional race, they are patrolling an area from the lead man to generally the last woman. And on a one loop course, there, there's a lot of real estate in there, miles and miles and miles of train between the front of race one and the back of race two. And I think our athletes are accustomed to a certain amount of density of officials and how frequently officials are going to be around them at any particular point in time. And when you separate the men's and the women's race, suddenly you've got the same number of officials patrolling a much, much smaller space. And they're able to officiate the race more carefully. And, and we saw that for both the men and the women. And it's going to be one of those things as we think about, you know, the continued, you know, individual day of racing that uh, the athletes are going to have to adjust for that, that there's even with the same number of officials, there's more officiating for any, any one particular athlete. Mm. It's an interesting point. There were, there were certainly some, some athletes who were fairly aggrieved over social media after the events, but it's interesting to hear a different point of view that, yeah, that there's going to be more officiating going on and people are going to be watched more and maybe athletes have to adjust to that as well. That's yeah. something I have to admit. I hadn't, I hadn't considered. So it's, it's fairer racing. There's, there's the same yeah. number of officials seeing twice as many athletes in a smaller area. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and, okay. And I so think that's, that, that's a good thing. Yeah. And I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think fairer racing is, is better for everybody. When did it become apparent to you then that having, having finished the race in Kona and thought this was wonderful, our, our perspective, certainly from viewers was this was wonderful, two separate races. How were things on the ground during Kona? When did it become apparent that, that things were perhaps not as, as well received by the locals as, as you would have hoped? Well, the thing we always worried about was the Thursday race. You know, that, that was always the, the question mark. It was always the thing that we were going to absolutely have to get right. It was the thing we'd never done before, nor had anyone else really. And, and so 
like our antenna were up and vibrating from the very, very beginning about, you know, what's, you know, what is traffic management going to be like? What's the airport going to say? What are the hotels on the Kala Coast going to say about their ability to get guests to and from the airport and to and from excursions? Um, you know, what are the people who work in town going to say? Are construction workers going to be able to get to their job sites? Um, and we'd done a ton of work notifying the community so that people knew this event was going to happen. Um, and we were really hopeful that we were going to be able to communicate effectively enough so that people would, if they didn't need to be moving around the west side of the island on Thursday, they wouldn't. Um, but but it was pretty clear by Thursday night, by the time we'd closed the bike course, um, that people were um, pretty unhappy. And and over the course of over the course of the weekend, you know, I sat next to Mayor Roth at the welcome banquet. I was you know part of the awards presentation for him with him on Thursday. I was part of the awards presentation with him on Saturday. I sat next to him on Sunday at the awards banquet. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time with with him and other representatives of of the county and the town, and and it was clear even on Thursday that we were getting more feedback from the community than we were either expecting or hoping for, and and we've always had you know, a relationship with, with Kona, you know, we've been there for 40 years and, and there's always been a pact that's in, in return for the benefits of more people and more tourism and more economic activity, the, the community is prepared to deal with the road closures and, you know, people riding bikes for abreast um, all over the place and, and all of that. Um, and, and the feedback we were getting is that the that balance was not there and and that you know we did have two days of racing we did have twice as many athletes in town that did you know they all had to eat they all ate in restaurants they you know stayed in hotels many of those hotels were you know dramatically more expensive than they historically had been um but less of that benefit filtered down to the people who were trying to get to their job at the airport on Thursday and they weren't getting paid time and a half and they were sitting in an hour and a half traffic jam and they did not like it and yeah and and so what was clear by certainly by Sunday was that you know we had real conversations we needed to have with the county and the town and the mayor about whether this was right for Kona and and we've always prided ourselves on you know being a part of the community and we were super active during that pandemic and we gave you know we we gave away a million dollars of you know, of Ironman Foundation money to feed families in need in in West Hawaii and we've always been proud of the, the role we've played in the community and and what became clear in the days and weeks after the race 
And it became clear through official channels, you know, feedback from constituents to the mayor and to the town. But, you know, we've got a bunch of people who live there too. And, and our, our team, both our volunteers and our, and our employees got a lot of feedback. They got it at church. They got it at the grocery store. They got it at school where their kids are. And the feedback they got was, uh, uh-uh. you know, no. And, and we're like, we're supportive of Ironman. We love Ironman. Ironman's been a good citizen, but Thursday too much. And, and look, we didn't like hearing it. We didn't want to hear it. We already had 23 on sale. We we were hopeful that you know two days of racing in 23 was a done deal. But but there is a reality on the ground. And that reality on the ground is you can't be in the event business where you know you are you know you're operating in public waterways on public roads. You know, in communities, you need permits to be able to apply your trade. And if there is real organized opposition to you being there, I mean, you can be out of business. And and that's a balance that we know and we manage at every race everywhere in the world. You know, you have to be always taking the temperature of the community and you have to be making sure that the benefits that accrue by having your races there, either reputational or economic, are balanced with the inconvenience that your race creates to people who live there who are trying to get to church, trying to get to school, trying to drop their kids off at piano lessons. And if that balance gets out of whack, you got real problems. And, and so the feedback that became really clear in the month of October was that two days was just not going to work. And, and we talked about, okay, Thursday, Saturday doesn't work. What if you race Saturday and Saturday? What if you do one race on the second Saturday in October, and then you do another race some other time? And the feedback to that was, guys, this is from the community. Listen, (laughs) like we like one day a year where the Ironman show comes to town one day. Yeah. And if you would like me to tell it to you again, I will tell you <laughs> one day. And and so I mean it was it, it was very frustrating for all of us because we, we understand, we get it, you know. Mm. And and again, we've got people who live there and 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 they understand. But you know, we had we had big plans. Right. And, 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 and we liked those big plans and, and we were excited about two days of racing and we thought two days of racing for Ironman, for the Ironman world championships, like two days of racing for 70.3 worlds. We really thought it's better. You know, it's, it's better because it does give women their own pure spotlight, which, which we think is well-deserved and totally appropriate. And, and especially in 2022, where, you know, if you look at, at, at these premier top tier level women's events, you know, the European football championship for women, you know, in Wembley and, 
you know, the Rugby World Cup for women in, in New Zealand just finished. And the Tour de France Femme, like these were all, you know, astonishing showcases for extraordinary female athletes. And like we felt we were, we, and, and, you know, and, and Chelsea and Annie and Lucy and, you know, Laura Phillip and Lisa Norton and, you know, Fenella Langridge and everybody else. I mean, like those women like put on a show. It was and, a great race and and we got to see it because it was a, yep. because it was a woman's only race. And I think you're right. We wouldn't have seen that if it had been mixed up in the men's race. No, nope, it wouldn't have seen it, as much of it. It, it would have been, it would have been an afterthought. I, I don't want to mm. say an afterthought because, because the team, our team never treats the women's race like an afterthought, but, but you've only got a certain number of motos and, and if they're, you know, and if the bulkier motos are at the front of the men's race, they are not, you know, they're not 30 kilometers away watching what's happening in the back of the women's pack. And, and, and just, I love the no feedback I've heard from female pros is they loved being at the front of their own race. They loved the the crossing the line first aspect of it. It was fantastic. And I have to say, I think it's a it's a really bold move, but really applaudable that you've made the decision to keep the women's race in Kona for next year and move the men's race somewhere else. That I think says more than a thousand advertising campaigns could do talking mm -hmm. about the, and I know not everyone's going to agree with it, but talking about the importance of raising the the women's sport, that that's mm -hmm. action, not spit, not talk right there. Yeah. And, and I think we, we think it's appropriate and, and, and it's, you know, if, if you go all the way back, like all the way back to 1979 in Lynn Lemaire, you know, in the second year being the first woman, um, you know, we, we've like our history in, in sort of the advancement of women's sport is one we're really proud of. And, and if you look even today, even today, you know, there are different rules for men's and women's ice hockey. There are different rules for men's and women's um, lacrosse, you know, at the, at the majors, you know, women play best of three sets, men play best of five in golf. The women's play from the ladies tees. We've never had any of that at Ironman. You know, there's one distance, there's one set of cutoffs, everybody, you know, you make it or you don't. And if you look around the landscape, I mean, has there ever been a UCI road race where the men and women have raced the same distance? Never. Time trial, women's always shorter. It's only until a couple of years ago that that even, you know, world athletics had, you know, the cross country championship be the same distance for men and women. And and for us, women have always been treated exactly the same. And when we introduced pro prize money in 1986, equal prize money for men and women from the beginning, we didn't care what gender you were. It was whether you could do it or whether you couldn't. And, and so it, it always bothered us that in a one-day world championship scenario, you're just necessarily subsuming the women's race 
and they're chasing, mm-hmm. you know, they're chasing the male pros and they're getting chased by the male age groupers. And, and we always wanted it to be different. Yeah. And, and we made it different in 2017 at 70.3 worlds and it's awesome. And, and so I, I think, you know, it, I, I think it was the right message for us to send to say, all right, you know, women, women get their first, their first crack at Kona. Nice. And, uh, and I can't tell you how many, how many guys have, have been emailing me saying, you're like, I know women should be a part of it, but, but can't I do it? And I was like, dude, really? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So next question then, obviously this is coming at you very, very fast, but you've faced a lot of criticism in social media and public facing things for why announce that the men's race is moving without telling people where to, or when it's going to be. Is that simply a reflection of you don't know yet and you can't confirm it? Well, we can't confirm it. And, and I know it's awkward. And, and again, you know, we wish things were different. Um, but, but it's worth also recognizing that we all left Kona in the middle of October, thinking we were racing two days in Kona. And, and for us to be able to, in five weeks, be able to have enough confidence to say, we've got another place where we're going to race and that it's going to be terrific to be able to make that announcement. Um, Again, you know, I, I said at the very beginning, you know, we we try to hide our sausage making from the public to the greatest possible extent because we're in the event business and we want things to seem like they're always going sort of smooth and painless. Um, but it was a huge amount of work for us to be able to say, all right, you know, like what are we going to do? Are we going to go back to one day one day at Kona and like rejigger all of the qualifying for? all the slots from now till 23 because so many people have already qualified. Are we going to move backwards? Are we going to potentially take two days and do it somewhere else? Are we going to like split the world championships and find a venue? And we wouldn't have announced, we wouldn't have announced this unless we had a lot of confidence. Mm. And, and so while we're not able to say where that place is, we will in early January. And and we wanted to, at a minimum, not put more people in a position where they were making commitments about where they were going to be in October that we knew weren't going to be right. Yeah. And so it's I, like I fully appreciate it's it's unsatisfying. Um, and in a perfect world, we would have announced everything all at once. We would have done it a year and a half in advance. Um, but we weren't provided that opportunity. And, and so we scrambled. Um, and frankly, I, I think the team, the, the work the team has done has been extraordinary. Um, but we're just going to, we're asking everybody to bear with us as best they can. And like, I know it's really frustrating. And I know that people are saying, okay, I'm not going to Kona. I've, I've got a Kona slot. I paid for it. I don't know where I am going. Am I going, am I racing in 2023? Am I racing in 2024? I, I get all of that frustration. I really do. And if if we'd had two years or two and a half years to plan this, we would have done it all at once, but we had six <laughs> weeks. And 
Well, that's, that's an interesting lead on. Are you, are you open? Do you have a policy? Are you open to men who've already qualified and taken the slot for Kona 2023? Do they have the option to roll to the race that'll happen in 2024? So I remember yeah, I read we'll something we're, that you... We're, we're going to let them roll to 24 if they want to. You will? Yeah. Yeah, and, that's great. But But we're not going to start that process until people have the choice and until people that know what they're giving up and, and, and we're hopeful that uh, people are going to think the 2023 destination is pretty awesome. You're um, not going to give us any clues. You can't give us a little spoiler for our little oh, podcast. Come on. <laughs> the really? rumor is it's going to be nice. I mean, look, it's, it's, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to say Yeah, that. fair enough. I've got to ask you though. My, my friends would kill I, me if I don't ask you. <laughs> I, I understand, but you know, we, we have, we have partners and we have agreements and those governs, those govern what we do and what we say. Yeah. So early, early January is the, is the timeline for people finding out. That's correct. That's and at that good. point, And at that point, we'll, we'll be in a position to announce rejiggered slots for the 23 world championship because we're going to recast everything. One of the things that I don't know whether it's been broadly reported is that for the first time we're separating men's and women's slots. So historically Ironman Frankfurt has 75 slots and they're allocated proportionally. Every age group gets at least one, the rest, you know, and, and like that whole methodology we're announcing for, and part of what we did for women, for the women's race, is we said, there's a certain number of women's slots. There's a certain number of men's slots. And we'll recast all those men's slots when we announce the destination for the men for 2023 in, in order to give a, an, an enhanced opportunity for people who are local to that market to be able to compete. You know, we, we, we listened about how expensive it was to get to, you know, to get to Kona and, and what how hard it is for people, for a lot of people to take, you know, at least a week off of work and, you know, it's 20 hours of travel and it's 12 hours of time. And it's really, it's, it's punishing to, to get to, to Kona from Europe. And, and if, for example, the, let's, let's just assume that the place that we're talking about is sort of more European, you know, that it opens up an opportunity for a bunch of people who either couldn't or don't want to spend the time and money to be able to travel to the other side of the world, but would like an opportunity to race against the best athletes in the world. And, and so I think you've got, we have an opportunity to, to learn about, you know, what, what is the appetite for people to qualify for and compete in a world championship that will have the best athletes, um, but maybe doesn't require, you know, really substantial amounts of money for people to be able to get there. And, and if that place, for example, you know, has lots of hotel rooms and easy flight lift from major, you know, parts of the world, then, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're dealing with a really different sort of economic package, yeah. um, which I think for a segment of people could be really interesting. Um, and I think also it's a different kind of race. 
and maybe a different type of athlete is able to be really successful there. And, you know, you know, Kona is hot and it's humid and it's windy. And, you know, that's not the, that's not everybody's cup of tea in terms of optimal performance. I interviewed Chris McCormack a couple of days ago and asked him his opinion on this. And he said, look, do you know what? A lot of people are going to shoot me down for this, but I love the idea of it being somewhere outside of Kona because then guys like me would have had a chance to win it more than once or twice because you're not dealing with the excessive heat and humidity. So I understand there's going to be kickback in the early days and and there's always going to be the Kona being the, the mythical, magical land. But there's also at the pro level, this opportunity for other athletes to win whose physiologies are just never going to be suited to Kona. Yeah. No, I was uh, I was joking with somebody that uh, it was the kind of thing that would make uh, Marina von Honecker want to come out of retirement. <laughs> hey, he could probably still come back and finish top five tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, he, he probably could. But, but you know, he's one of those athletes that just for whatever you know, his own physiological makeup just never let him be yeah. you know, a- able to compete at that level there. And, and I'm sure he's not the only one. So let me ask you this. Our, our last question for you. You've been CEO for 10, 11 years now at the Ironman Group. Coming up on 12. Coming up on 12, is it? Okay. Yeah. Where, where do you see Ironman being in five years? if everything goes to plan? So I, th- I think, I mean, what, what we're trying to do is pretty, I mean, there's no sort of magic thing we're trying to do. Um, I think there's a bunch of us in this company who are real true believers and, and who, like me, you know, I did my first Ironman in 2005 and the process of doing it changed my life. And, and, you know, and, and so I'm, you know, exhibit a of the people who like have the crazy passionate belief in how Iron Man can make you better, you know, better in everything. And, and it can expand your horizons and, you know, show you that link between effort and reward that we spend our lives trying to teach our children. And, and that, you know, it's this unambiguous force for good and our culture of athletes, you know, you go to, you go to, to a world championship and, you know, everybody's the same, you know, different genders, different colors, different ages from different parts of the world, but there's this incredible positive spirit, this positivity this, you want to help the other guy, you, you know, you're competing against people, but you're really not competing because you're all fellow travelers in this incredible, amazing adventure that changes you and changes your life. And, and like, we're trying to spread that around the world. Like that's our secret business strategy. Like we're trying to spread it to every single part of the world. Um, because for so many of us, it's been this amazingly important part of our lives. And, and so, yeah, I'm trying to get more women involved in the sport. I'm trying to get more people from every corner of the globe involved in the sport. I'm trying to get more young people. I'm trying to get more old people. I'm trying to get more, more everybody. And, and, and that's really what animates us more than anything. And, you know, gives us the energy to, 
like do this crazy job, which, and it is a crazy job, right? Like the event business is just preposterously difficult. I mean, all you do, you spend your whole life dealing with stuff going wrong. There's a hurricane, there's a mudslide, there, a bridge collapses. You know, you've got like, a, like we're an outdoor event business. You think of everything that can go wrong outdoors. It's a long list. Um, and, you know, and you, and you work, you pull 20 hour days, like at events and, but it's awesome. You get to watch people cross the finish line and that makes everything worth it. Um, so like more of that. And, awesome. and, and, and I, I think also, you know, one of the things that we've historically been is really focused on like being an event delivery company and, and, and we do that, I think, really well. We deliver safe, high-quality racing experiences for athletes around the world. And we do this in mountain biking and in running and in triathlon and, every, and, and, and everywhere where we compete. Um, but I, I think we've got an opportunity to be more helpful to our athletes because as, as you know, one of the things that, that everybody you know in the Ironman world knows is that like Ironman athletes care a lot about, you know, th whatever their upcoming races being a hundred percent ready and having the right equipment and being optimally prepared and the right nutrition and the right everything. And, and we've never really been that involved in a, an awful lot of that. You know, we've really said, all right, from when they arrive on Wednesday to when they leave on Monday morning, like that's where we're going to put our effort and we're, you know, in creating like that great experience. But I think there's more that we can do in, in helping people get to the start line um, sort of as healthy and as prepared and confident as, as possible. So I, I think you'll probably see us do more in that area in, in the future. Fantastic. Hey, well, listen, thank you very much for your time. I'm, I'm very conscious we've run over here. So uh, how would you like to wrap this up? Is there anything else that you'd like to pass on to the listeners? Well, um, we're excited about 2023 and and uh, we're excited. You know, a lot of our attention has been thinking about world championships, but, you know, we've got uh, 70.3 worlds are taking place in Finland in August. And then uh, we've got two days and two venues of world championships. And we, we hope to see a lot of the, the community there and uh, we'll be, we'll be ready. Fantastic. Andrew Messick, CEO of Ironman. Thank you very much for your time. Happy to, ha happy to be a part of this, Rob. Okay, guys, I, I hope you enjoyed that. I've got to say I was, I was, totally won over by Andrew and his passion for the sport. It's obvious that it's more to him than just being a CEO. It's obvious that he absolutely loves the sport and he really believes in the power of Ironman to change people's lives for the better. Um, watch this space then. Mid-January is when the official announcement of where the men's race is going to be. Like I said before, the rumour is it's going to be in Nice and the rumour is it's going to be on the 10th of September. So watch this space for whether that is, is true and if that is confirmed or not. Uh, there's a there's a great extra story here about Andrew Messick. When I raced Ironman France back in 2012, Andrew was the new CEO. He'd taken over at the back end of 2011, and I finished my race in 
in around 12 hours and change and went back to the hotel, got dressed, had some food, uh, had a drink with a couple of the guys I'd met and we came back down onto the Promenade des Anglais to cheer on the last finishes as they were coming through. So as it was approaching the 17-hour cutoff, we walked, I guess we were half a mile or a mile up the road from the finish line, maybe not even that far, maybe half a mile. There weren't very many people around and we could see the the um the mountain bike the official with the you know the the fluorescent tabard on the lights on and an athlete really struggling coming along the road in fact two athletes coming along the road one clearly really struggling and the other one who looked in much better shape kind of walking next to this person and encouraging them along and as as this pair came along with the bike rider the guy next to me who I'd met during the race said to me that's Andrew Messick this the new CEO of Ironman and we said no and he said, yeah, it is, you know. And we, we walked along and followed on the other side of the barriers. And this guy called over to him. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing? And he turned around and said, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, you know, helping this guy. We're going to get him across the finish line before the cutoff. And that, to me, was a, was a pivotal moment. Because those of you who have not been in the sport that long won't remember the, the, the sort of the Ironman corporate structure before Andrew Messick took over as CEO. But they weren't looked on very favorably it was it was perceived it was a it was a big business and there wasn't really a a heart of somebody who really enjoyed triathlon at the heart of it and he he wasn't doing that to be seen by people i think he was doing it because it was the right thing to do he was at the race and he said afterwards i went up to him actually and shook his hand and said hello and he said i just wanted to make sure that we could get everybody across the line who had the chance of getting across the line and that really stayed with me. I brought it up with him before the call today and, and he didn't remember the instance, but I'm sure, you know, he's got dozens, hundreds of instances like this across his career. But yeah, I was, I was very impressed with what he said. It's obvious they are, they are gutted to have to leave Kona. They left Kona after race weekend thinking that it was a done deal and have had to move very, very quickly. So yeah, good, good stuff. Um, Really great. Thanks very much to the Ironman team for setting that interview up at short notice. Um, really appreciate your flexibility and it's great to to get the big cheese on the show. So watch this space for more Ironman news coming up. I'd be love to get back on actually and talk more about um, UTMB and the Hort route and all the other events that the Ironman have got under their umbrella these days because it's it's no... It's no secret, I think. People are in Ironman for two, three, four, five years and then look for something slightly different. They look for an exit route. They look for an ultra-distance run. Or they look for a multi-day bike race or a multi-day mountain bike race. The Ironman Corporation have obviously been very smart in, in buying up these big marquee events, but then using what they've learned running series of events to turn that into a similar sort of series. So it'll be interesting to see whether they have the same sort of success with Hort Route and growing that with the epic mountain bike series with UTMB as they have, you know, unquestionably had with Ironman. Okay, so that brings us to the end of this week's show. Just before we go, remember you can use the code OA22 for 15% off your first electrolyte order over at precisionfuelandhydration.com. And if you're interested in triathlon or endurance coaching, you can head on over to teamoxygenetic.com 
I think we've got the most comprehensive triathlon coaching program, ultra coaching program, running, cycling, you name it. We've got programs for all kinds of busy age groupers. You can book a call with me to see if you'd be a good fit for joining our team. There's a link in the show notes that I'll book straight through to my calendar. We can have a chat for 20 or 30 minutes and find out what you've done, what you hope to achieve and how we can best help you out going forwards. So remember, there's links in the show notes. You don't have to remember them. Until next week, have a great, safe training and racing week. I'm Coach Rob Wilby, and you've been listening to the Oxygen Addict Podcast. See ya. See ya.